here in front of the pastor for just a moment. Um, the past four weeks have been a little trial for me. Uh, and I just want to thank the church, uh, everybody here, for your prayers, uh, for your thoughts, your phone calls. Um, the doctor said a ruptured appendix at age 55 is just something extremely rare. Uh, and it kind of took me for a surprise and put me down for a little while, but I, I knew I had people praying. Uh, I knew I had work waiting. And, uh, but I thank you for your prayers again, and, and it's good to be back. It's good to be uh, almost 100%. Uh, of course, if you listened to me on the share yesterday, it, it sounded like I was probably 110 because we got wound up a little bit yesterday. <laughs> And a shameless plug, uh, we are in Sherathon, 877-747-8887. Uh, <coughs> if you feel like it, and the Lord leads. Thank you. Children's Church, you can be dismissed. It's like a good group this morning. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Randall, for that uh, great song selection this morning. I know uh, you've been pouring your heart into that and praying and seeking the Lord. Uh, guys, that's, that was a wonderful worship service this morning. Lynn, thank you for those encouraging words. Uh, we need that, don't we? We need that reminder. Because, I mean, just be honest. Sometimes you come in here and you sit down on a Sunday morning and, and all types of thoughts are flooding your head and um, you know, no one ever has problems if you have children getting ready on Sunday mornings. You know, that just never happens. Um, and, and so it's nice to be able to come in here and stop, pause, and be reminded why we are here. So I thank the Lord for how he has moved on the hearts of our worship leaders in uh, preparing us and leading us uh, into worship this morning. With that said, I... I Trust that the Spirit of God will continue to work through the teaching of His Word as He promises His Word will not return void. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we're continuing uh, our study through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, the good thing about that is if you're visiting with us and uh, you're, you're looking for a home church or, or maybe you're just here for a visit this morning, whatever the case uh, we have been studying through the Gospel of Luke. You can always go back and see what's happened uh, in the pages ahead. And you can, if you uh, depart from us, uh, then you can see what's happening in the days to come if you read through the text. I encourage you to be reading through the Gospel of Luke. You'll remember last time we were together. By the way, let me uh, say this. Thank you for um, just being a church that uh, is not selfish in that you... Uh, you, you want to hoard your pastor, keep him to yourself. I had the privilege of going to Community Baptist Church of Yanceyville last week. And we stayed in Danville, Virginia. Yanceyville's right there on the line. And so I had the privilege of uh, being with another CBC group. Uh, a friend of mine I uh, went to college with, he had been out on the West Coast and was suffering from uh, jet lag and asked if I could come and preach for him. He was there, uh, and he didn't fall asleep. That was, uh, that was something. Um, but uh, <coughs> appreciate that privilege. And then we ventured over the mountain to Rocky Mount, Virginia to speak with a pastor friend who's going to be with us, Lord willing, for our missions conference and had a good uh, time of fellowship in visiting with them. So appreciate you allowing me those opportunities to go and encourage other 
brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know Brother Dean brought a great message. I've heard uh, feedback from that. And so uh, just, just really blessed to be in this church family. Uh, look, if you would, in Luke chapter 4, and we'll begin our reading in verse 31. Luke 4, verse 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is. For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits. And they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever. And they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever. And it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place, And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent out. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Father, I pray this morning that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask for clarity of thought. I pray that, uh, again, I would speak in your authority, that, uh, Lord, you would uh, allow your word to go forth, uh, having free course, unhindered. And, Lord, I pray that you search the hearts and minds of every soul that's here and that you would speak through the preaching and teaching of your word. Help us to learn what it is you would have us to learn, Lord. Help us to continue to draw closer to you in this time of worship as we study the scriptures. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You know we've covered a lot of ground thus far in in the study of Luke. And uh, last week we found Jesus in his hometown of of Nazareth. And Christ in his own town was not well received, as you recall. In fact, when we left last week, they had uh, basically pushed him out of the synagogue because they did not like his teaching about this message of hope, this gospel going to, of all people, the Gentiles. He was doing fine up to that point. In fact, if you look back in the text, it says they marveled at his gracious words. And yet to go from that to in a moment 
literally thrusting him out to the city edge, desiring to kill him because of the deep-seated hatred in their heart for a people group that they didn't think fit into this program of God. Yet here God incarnate was speaking to them. And Jesus miraculously passed through the midst of them, the text says. I wonder what that was like. I mean, I really do. I, I, you know, again, I, I picture my own heart and mind. Maybe it was like the parting of the Red Sea. But you've got to think there was something supernatural because this crowd went from being allowed the anger and the frustration to literally push him out of the temple and the mob, as angry as they were, to go to that place to, in, in thinking they were going to thrust him over to, I just imagine this almost like a supernatural calm. Was it power in his eyes? Did he look at them? Was there something that just, I, I don't know, but you know, I, I read that text and, and, and we know something miraculous happened where he passed through the midst of them. And now we pick up the text today and he's gone to Capernaum and uh, you'll know this is where Simon and Andrew, two of his disciples are from and this is going to be a place where he's going to do a lot of his ministry at this point. And so Jesus is there and again he's in the synagogue. And he's going to begin his teaching. It says when he went down, verse 31, when he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching. Why? It says for his word was with authority. Turn with me, if you would, over to Matthew. We'll get some insight into what's going on here in the hearts and minds of the people. Go over to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Look in uh, 7, verse uh, 28 of Matthew 7. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You see, those folks that gathered in the synagogue, they were used to a certain type of teaching. They were used to the scribes and their way of teaching. And a lot of times what would happen, the scribes, when they taught, they often quoted other people. And look, we still do this to some degree. Uh, we will still use quotes. You will hear, I'm sure, by the end of the sermon today, I will use the quote of, a, of another pastor. But the thing that was so astonishing in, in the sight, in, in the midst of these people, as we can only imagine, here is the Word of God incarnate. This is the Word made flesh. And He is speaking not from the authority of another source. He is speaking from His own authority. And this is, this is the God who spoke and by the word of His mouth, the universe leaped into existence. He is the designer who has designed every complex and every simplistic thing that has order in the universe. He spoke and it leaps into existence. Can you imagine what one of those services was like? I mean, wow. And so they were, they knew. They're astonished at his teaching because he's not doing it as they were used to hearing. He was doing it in a way that as he spoke, it was the word of God being spoken. 
And so these folks that were gathered there in Capernaum, they were astonished at his teaching. None like that, uh, the scribes' teaching. Look over in Matthew 21 while you're over there. Go ahead and turn over to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Again, this gives us a picture of what, what's going on in the teaching ministry of Jesus and what this must have been like as he goes from town to town and he goes into these synagogues and he teaches and he preaches. Notice in chapter 21 of Matthew, verse 23. Now when he came into the temple, here he is in the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Again, in order to teach or to preach in the temple or in a synagogue, you needed authority. You needed permission. Who's given you this authority? By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? They recognize something is different about this man. Something supernatural is going on. But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. And I love just this, you know, I, I love the way Jesus, you know, handles those religious men, you know. Um, but, but anyway, notice what happens here. He says, I tell you what, I'll answer your question, you answer mine. That's what he's saying. All right? Notice what happens next, verse 25. The baptism of John, Jesus asked. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? What a role reversal. Because if you know anything about these Pharisees, these scribes, what were they constantly trying to do with Jesus? They're constantly trying to catch him in a trap. They're trying to find a phraseology, a wording, a question, so that they can paint him into a corner so that if he answers one way or answers another, aha, we got him. And of course they can never do so because he is God incarnate and their little schemes always end up coming back on them, don't they? And yet here we find, I think, a great, again, a role reversal, but notice what happens here in this situation. So he asked them, the baptism of John, where is it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then do you not believe him? Hmm. But if we say from men... We fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. Now, just imagine for a second their dilemma. Can't you see them huddling up about this and talking? You know, hold on a second, Jesus, time out. We'll get back to you. What do you think we've got to do here, guys? You know, I mean, if we say it's from heaven, then why aren't we listening to him? Because we're supposed to be God followers, right? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. But if we say his teaching, John the Baptist's teaching, is from men... Now, we've got a problem there because if we answer that way, well, you know, then it seems like maybe there's this uh, uh, fearing of the multitude, if you will. What, what are we going to do here? Hmm. We fear the multitude for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus. Notice their answer. We do not know. <laughs> Probably one of the most honest answers they, they, they gave in all of their career. We don't know. He said to them, neither will I tell you 
by what authority I do these things. <laughs> Who said, look, God's got a sense of humor. I think that's funny. I mean, you, you know, I don't know what you think, but I think that's pretty funny myself. Um, he says, well, you're not going to tell me. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> All right. Um, and he has that right. Look, the point is Jesus' teaching in these synagogues and his teaching in the temples, and as he went throughout town to town, everybody knows there is something powerful. There is authority with this man. He's not uh, gone to this school or that school. John the Baptist, same way, wasn't you know exactly the stellar student. He graduated from uh, the uh, Desert University, DU. Um, and yet, you know, they knew these men had great authority, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees. Notice verse 33 back in Luke, chapter 4. Now, in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. We're going to pause there for a second. This is noteworthy. When you study through the Gospels, you're going to find a phrase connected oftentimes with the demon. Unclean. Unclean. I think that's interesting. I think there's a lot... uh, um, when we study the scriptures and it talks about not being spotted from the world and, and it speaks of clean and unclean. And I wonder, Christian, um, we know folks, um, well, let me say it this way. Let me say it to us as believers. We are to be separate, are we not? We're not to be tainted. We're not to be polluted by the things of the world. Yet, um, though I don't believe we as believers can be possessed, and I'll talk in a little bit about that, um, I wonder if many in the world, because they go down a road that's unclean, if you will, they open themselves up for the things and the influences of the little g-god of this world. We're going to look at a text in, in, in this text today and, and discuss some things that uh, really aren't discussed a whole lot in our society. Yet most folks are intrigued in, in, in the secular world. Well, they love those television shows that are all about, you know, Demon Hunter and Supernatural and, you know, all these kind of crazy shows that are out there that display the, you know, supernatural realm. They're intrigued by it. Oh, you know, you come out with a new Exorcist movie and they're flocking, you know, to go see these things. Uh, you remember the story I think I shared with you guys a few weeks back and, and, and how I was evangelizing one time door to door and just encouraging folks to come to church. And, and, and this mother and daughter, you know, were just all ecstatic because of the new movie Splagmata had come out and it was this, you know, Catholics casting out demons, you know. And it's like, isn't that the book of Revelations? By the way, there's no S on the end, okay? For those of you, please don't do that. That's a pet peeve of your pastor. It's not Revelations. It's one Revelation. But anyway. So they wanted to know, you know, oh, was that true? Was that like, because that's got the Bible in it, don't it? You know, and it's just, you know, we don't get our theology from a movie. But there's this interest in people who want to know about the supernatural realm. But they don't want to go to the source of authority to understand the supernatural realm. And the insight that scriptures give us in regards to this is limited. And I think that's important for us to note. The Lord never intended you and I to be demon hunters. 
We don't go looking for a fight. We don't go seeking out um, you know, the demonic realm, the spiritual realm. And yet there's a lot of denominations out there and a lot of ministries, and you can flip on the TV and see them all day long. I don't recommend you do that. They have an obsession and a focus in that. And I don't find that being scriptural. But what I do find here in this case is that Jesus is in the synagogue and there's a man there with a demon. I'm going to say for a second, Satan loves to go to church. Do you know that? Satan loves to go to church. He has no problem with going to church. In fact, that's where he gets a lot of his converts. There's no doubt that there are a lot of uh, religious folks in pews all across America today that have bought into liberal theology and um, uh, perverted gospels. Um, that very well, um, no doubt, those are doctrines of demons. Now, whether or not those people per se are specifically demon-possessed is not for me to decide. But I know this, according to the authority of God's Word, there's only one thing you and I need to be concerned about when it comes to this realm, this spiritual realm, the demonic realm. It's the authority of the person of Jesus Christ. It is the salvation of Jesus Christ that sets the captive free. It's not your authority. It's not in the name of. You see a lot of them naming that. In the name of. In the name of. Yes, in the name of Jesus there is authority. Yes, in the shed blood of Jesus there is authority. But salvation is the need. You see, there is, as believers, the Holy Spirit resides within. Okay? And um, a demon cannot possess the house where the Spirit resides. And we'll look at some texts in just a moment to see why that is the case. But let me, let me move forward here in, in regards to the text. Here's a man in the synagogue with an unclean demon. He cries out with a loud voice saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? He knows him. He identifies him. He recognizes him. And I think that's, again, this is an important note. Jesus didn't go there going, where are you demons? Come out. No. But his presence alone caused them to react. And I can assure you, if you are a spirit-filled individual, the Holy Spirit residing within you, and some of you may have experienced things along these lines before. I know I have. Where the physical realm uh, doesn't have an answer. But I have found myself in many situations where no doubt there was demonic activity. And it's detectable. But here's the thing. We don't go looking for it. Spirit of God, here we see Jesus Christ in the synagogue and this man cries out. It's upset. He's upset. Let us alone. What have we to do with you? Did you come to destroy us? Some interesting insight to future uh, judgment that they know awaits. Notice the phrase, I know who you are. 
the Holy One of God. Amazing. I mean, the people from his hometown, a lot of the folks that he was going to bringing this message of hope, deliverance, the gospel, the good news, these folks, they rejected him. They didn't recognize him. And yet here you have a man who's demon-possessed and the demon immediately knows who he is. He knows that he is indeed the Holy One of God. Hmm. You know, I, I think a lot of times that we have done an injustice in our presentation of the gospel to people. And I look at a text like this and... And, uh, and, and there's another text, by, by the way, uh, James, uh, you know, is, is another text of Scripture um, where James 2.19 says, You believe that there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. We have done an, unjust, an injustice, I think, a lot of times in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ because we use phraseology like you need a personal relationship with Jesus. Let me ask you this. Does Satan know Jesus personally? Sure he does. You know, he has a good dialogue with him in the book of Job. Read it. You think, uh, again, this text shows us he knows. The demons know who Jesus is. They recognized him throughout. You go through the New Testament, you're going to see time and time again. Even the demons know. Even the demons believe. They believe he's the Son of God. They believe he is God incarnate. And they tremble. You know, I wonder, there's a big difference in believing and trusting Christ. Repenting of your sins and putting your faith and trust in Christ. Is there not? There's a big difference. The demons believe. My wife, if you've never heard her testimony, I encourage you to talk to her and let her share her testimony with you. Christian school kid. Raised in a Christian home. She believed. She couldn't think of a time she didn't believe. And one day, sitting in a chapel service... She heard this text, preached and proclaimed. The Spirit of God convicted her. Yeah, she believed. but She had never committed to following Christ. There's a difference of being a believer and a true believer. Let me leave it that way. So, here's this man, demon-possessed, recognizing Christ for who he is. Notice verse 35, but Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. Whew. Now, this is an interesting phrase here. This uh, be quiet, uh, rebuked him, he's saying hold thy peace. Some of your translations may say that. Uh, this word he spoke with power. It's the Greek word, thimah, if I can say this correctly, my, my southern Greek. <laughs> It's been a while. Give me some, give me some break here. Femaho. It means to be muzzled. So Jesus looks over here to this man who's crying out. And just imagine this scene in the synagogue. This man saying, let us alone. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? Be muzzled. 
demon couldn't speak. Boy, I tell you, wouldn't you like to be able to do that sometime to some people? <laughs> you know? Ah, zip it! <laughs> he said, be muzzled. Christ did not only tell him silence, but stopped his mouth and forced him to be silent against his will. That's authority. And people saw that. They witnessed that. They knew, wow, not only does he teach in power, look what he does. The scripture goes on and it says, and when the demon had thrown him in their midst, again, there's, there's, you know, there's limited power there, but don't mess with the demonic realm. We don't go there. It came out of him. But notice again the authority of Christ and did not hurt him. Did not hurt him. He couldn't hurt him. Because here's the Son of God commanding him. Here's the Son of God. This is, this is God incarnate commanding with authority. And he didn't hurt him. Nothing can come into our life. Nothing can harm us unless it goes through the hand of God first. And that ought to be great comfort for us. Even when we face difficult times, even when hardships hit, even when stuff we feel like we're in the whirlwind, we can know that God is still in control. The authority is with Him. Then they were amazed, verse 36. And spoke among themselves. Hey, again, just imagine this. They're all there. Wow, did you see that? Man, I ain't never seen nothing like that. You know, they're out there huddling up, talking. What a word is what what a word this is. For what for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits. So not only again is he teaching, they're astonished at his teaching. Now they're astonished at how he commands even the unclean spirits. They come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. I guess it did. I mean, you know, you, you guys have witnessed something before, um, you know, <laughs> that was cool. Man, that was cool. Did you see that? You know, and you'll tell everybody about it, you know. And, and really, when you think about it, you know, comparatively speaking, I wouldn't know how to respond witnessing this type of event. You better believe you'd be telling everybody. And so that's what happened. The report about him went out into every place into the surrounding region. His fame began to spread, began to grow. And again, remember, we've already learned this in the, in the previous weeks. It's already been probably almost a year um, that he's been out in the area before coming back to Nazareth, now going to Capernaum. So his fame had been spreading. Everyone was hearing about it. Everybody was noting Jesus of Nazareth and what was going on in his ministry. And so uh, that's what's taking place here. Now we notice in verse 38. Now he arose from the synagogue. This is all one day, by the way. This is all one day. All right? He arose from the synagogue and he entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever. Hold on, put the brakes on. Did y'all miss that? 
We're going to bring it current, current events, current events. What just happened this week? What was the big news all over town? We're all watching a chimney. White smoke, right? <laughs> I sure hope they get that Vatican warmed up. It looks cold out there. They got rain coming. They need a fire going. No, that's not what we were looking at it for. We're looking for what reason? Pope. They were selecting a new pope, weren't they? What's one of the requirements of those folks pursuing the pope title all the way up through their cardinals and their, their priests? And what's one of the rules, one of the laws? Not be married. Oh, wait a minute. The supposedly first pope in, in the lineages of pope was Pope Peter the first. Which, by the way, guys, they got that all wrong. You know, I don't know. I heard this phrase. We were watching it the other day, and they said something about, uh, you know, when Christ gave the keys to Peter. No. When Christ said, upon this rock I build my church, he wasn't referencing Peter. He was referencing himself. That's the foundation we build upon, not man. We build upon Christ. This text blasts that completely out of the water. Their, their teachings and their theology, and they, they ought to know that, but uh, I guess they don't. Uh, it, it, it proves beyond any doubt that Peter was married. According to the present-day Roman Catholic standards for the priesthood, Peter was not qualified to be a priest, much less the first pope. I'm just saying. Anyway, side note, uh, that's, that's an extra. I get that dollar back now, Lynn. Um, Clement of Alexandria, an early Christian writer, said that Peter's wife helped him in ministry by meeting the needs of other women. Isn't that interesting? Again, we see from even the, the beginning concept of the New Testament church um, that the, the husband and the helpmeet serving together in a unique ministry, evidently, according to Clement of Alexandria, and Peter's wife had was in ministering to other women. And I think that's a very honorable ministry. Immediately, she arose and served them. Here's Peter's mother-in-law, sick. And she has a high fever. The people made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and he rebuked the fever. Whew. That's pretty impressive. Brother Eddie, you'd love to have that up there at uh, Lenore, wouldn't you? Go around the hospital room and be able to just rebuke that fever. I, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? I mean, again, think about this. You're witnessing this kind of thing. You've seen his teaching and authority. You've seen him command unclean spirits to leave. And now they're witnessing, here's a woman who's laying, and, and, and you know, when you're sick with some serious fever, you don't want to do squat, right? You just want to lay in bed and cover up. And, uh, and he comes over and stands over her and rebukes the fever. Now, I don't know how he said it or what he said, but man, again, wouldn't that have been cool to be there? I mean, that would have been pretty amazing. Just, you know, be gone, fever. The amazing thing is, you know it was complete healing because it says, then she immediately got up and served them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you, I'm rebounding from my fevers. I still ain't doing nothing for about a half a day at best. And yet she gets up and serves them. Again, this is all Luke is writing these things. And by the way, Luke is what? He's a doctor. He's a physician. So you know he's like taking extra notes on that, on that, that event, you know. 
Amazing. He is, again, pointing out the authority that's found in Christ, identifying who He is because of these amazing things that are taking place. It's all evidence that points and screams to who Christ is. Immediately, she arose and served them. Let me ask you all a question, just in a way of side note application. What has Jesus done for you? And just think about that in your own heart for a moment. What has Christ done for you? You know? Miss Liz knows about that. I hear you, Miss Liz. And I think we all can amen. We can all look into our lives and see, for the mere fact that we're here this morning, if God has saved your soul, we've got much to be thankful for, right? And I think there's something in this for us to learn. You know what? Are we serving Him? You say, well, Christ hasn't done nothing for me. Well, I dare to differ. You're here this morning. He has shown you grace. You're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You do not know the Creator who spoke and things leaped into existence. You're here this morning and you don't know the one who holds it all in His hand. He has given you the greatest mercy and gift He could possibly give. And that is for you to actually be in a place where you have an opportunity to hear and receive the message of hope, the message of truth. Don't doubt God's love for you. You say, well, God doesn't love me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how messed up my life is. You don't know what I've experienced. You've never walked in my shoes. You're right, I have not. And in that sense, I cannot relate to your pain. You are correct. But let me say this. There is a God who loves you. And He has demonstrated His love for you. In that while you were still in your sin, Christ died for you. There's no greater love than a man to lay down his life for somebody. He who knew no sin, he left the righteous holiness of glory and took on the robe of a man and then went to a cross and suffered violently at the hands of His creation. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have spoken, decimated. But He showed His love. God showed and demonstrated His love for you and for me. While we were still living our life in the darkness, He still extended the light of the gospel and demonstrated and died upon a cross at Calvary. Taking our sin upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. That we might become the righteousness of him. Do you realize, again, you hear this phrase, you hear this use that, um, that, that God you know, desires to, to have a plan for your life and, and live through you? He does. In church, we are to be his hands and his feet. If you have come to that surrendered uh, place, that place where you've called upon Christ to be your Lord, to be your Savior, He set up residence within your heart. The life that you now live, you don't live for yourself. You live for Him. 
That's what we're supposed to do. Look over in 2 Corinthians. We talked about this Wednesday night. Oh, we had some good, good discussions on Wednesday nights. Come see us. 2 Corinthians. Look over in 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 12. Brother Dean shared this one Wednesday night with us. Listen, for we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast in our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him. But for him who died for them and rose again. That's our purpose, Christian. That is our purpose. You want to know your purpose as a Christian, you can underline that phrase right there. God loves you. And He's demonstrated that love. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice, uh, she rose immediately and began to serve. And... You know, again, a challenge for us uh, to, you know, to serve God, to serve one another. Very important point. Notice what happens in verse 40. I may have to cut this off. When the sun was setting, he had to wait until the Sabbath was over, by the way. They, you know, the people, you know, again, tradition, their tradition was still affecting the truth. And uh, they waited till the sun had set. The Sabbath was now over. Now notice what they did. All those who had any that were sick with various disease brought them to him. <laughs> can you blame them? I mean, I'm sorry. Hey, can you imagine showing up at church service? And this is why, listen, again, this is why there's a lot of deception going on in the Christian realm today is because some of these folks, they see lying wonders, false miracles, and they get all uh, drummed up about it. Now, again, Christ doesn't do this to bring attention to himself in the sense of, hey, bring out all the sick and the dead, let me heal them. That's not what he was here for. In fact, we're going to see in this text, there, you see his mission, and it's very clearly spelled out, but, but we'll, we'll hit on that here in a second. But here's the point I want to make. I can imagine if we were there that day and saw this happen, the demon leaving, and then we followed him on over and we saw the, uh, Peter's mother-in-law here with a fever getting healed and then serving people immediately. I can't wait till the sun goes down because I got uncle so-and-so who's really been messed up for a while and I got to get him to this man because there's something different about this guy that's never been seen in this day. And so that's what they did. They, they, uh, the sun had gone down. All those who had any uh, that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And here again you see that testimony even from them. And he rebuking them did not allow them to speak. 
for they knew that he was the Christ. Why did he do that? I mean, isn't that part of He wants people to know he's the Christ, right? So why these demons were telling people who, they, who he was? Why did he stop them? I mean, you know, look, we, we, the scriptures tell us that uh, God can raise up stones to praise him, right? The trees could praise him if they want. But who has he chosen to proclaim? Man! It's our responsibility to preach. It's our responsibility to tell others about Jesus Christ, not the demonic spirit. It's your responsibility, Christian. It's my responsibility as a follower of Christ to tell others of who He is. And besides, His sovereign plan was at work. And He didn't need the lying, deceiving spirits to muddy the waters, if you will. So He muzzled them. You know, again, a lot of modern-day exorcists, a lot of these modern-day um, demon hunters, they're more like Acts 19. Turn over there. I want you to see this. Acts 19. Here's a good description of, of a lot of these modern-day ministries. We're going to expose them in the light of Scripture. Acts 19. Acts 19, verse 11 says this. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from the body to the sick. By the way, did you pick up on that word? Unusual. This is not the norm. Don't send your 1995 to some guy with a beard who lives in Hawaii with a nice tan because he's going to send you some oil and a handkerchief. All right? Just save you money. Um, Why not instead... Put it in a missionary fund and support a biblical missionary. There's you an idea. Anyways, moving on. He says, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from the body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, here we go, took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. (laughs) Boy, they got to hand it to them that day, didn't they? I mean, you talk about a good old-fashioned butt whooping. That's a redneck term for you folks that don't know what that is. I mean, he just... Can you see that? Well, I know, I don't want to see those guys running down the road, but anyway... They didn't have the authority. They didn't have the authority. A lot of these televangelists, believe me, they don't have that authority. So, see if we can finish this one out. He was rebuking them. He didn't allow them to speak. 
Well, a couple of things I want you to carry away. Uh, one um, is, well, let me show you. I told you I'd show you this text, so I want to be a man of my word. Go over to 2 Corinthians real quick. 2 Corinthians, go back over there. I hit on this earlier, and I want to make sure I tidy this part up before I let you go today. Because some of you are going to be wondering, Boy, he said, and the preacher said he's going to tell us about the, why believers can't be demon-possessed. He never turned there. That was my impersonation of Lynn Sanders, by the way, if you were just wondering. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Joking, brother. I love you. I love you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was wrong. I love you. It was good. That's how I do like it. <laughs> All right, let's look in 2 Corinthians 6. <laughs> yeah, we're even now, right? 2 Corinthians 6, okay. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Guys, the bottom line is, again, and there's other passages of Scripture that, that highlight this, that when the strong man comes in and binds, uh, the Holy Spirit comes in and sets up residence within you, there is no one taking him by force. He is the authority. He is the tri- part of the triune God. He's the third person of the Trinity. If the Holy Spirit, as a believer, you are sealed until the day of redemption with the Holy Spirit of God. No demon is coming in that house. You understand? And that's not to say that a Christian cannot be oppressed. And a lot of times when you've walked through this darkness of this world, there are a lot of uh, places that the mind has been uh, messed with and a demon can a lot of times uh, oppress you. Sometimes I believe to the point that a person could believe they were potentially demonically possessed. But as a true believer, you cannot be. Well, Jesus preaches and he continues on. And I'm going to stop right here to close out. uh, And I'll hit on this next point uh, next time. But but let me just say, in in concluding what we've looked at today, Jesus taught with authority. Jesus demonstrated his authority by commanding the unclean spirits to come out. Jesus demonstrated his authority over healing. And by the way, does God still heal? Sure he does. It's his prerogative. He should choose to heal. He will heal. Sometimes God chooses not to heal, and we see that in Scripture as well. And either way, it should be and is for his glory. Whether there's healing or not. What is the point in wrapping up today's message? Who's the authority base? Who should be the authority in our life? Jesus Christ. Where should we find the 
the power, the comfort, the strength to face whatever it is we're facing, whatever it is we're dealing with? The Word of God. Gang, as believers in Christ, as followers of Christ, He is our source. He is the one we look to. He is, he is our Redeemer. He's come to set you free. And the greatest thing, if you're here today and you've never been set free from the bondage of sin, that's the one thing He wants to do in your life. And I trust that you will respond to what He's saying to you. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Um, there's still much to cover. Uh, I just thank you for the opportunity to be able to be in uh, a weekly Bible study where we can go through a book at a time and just look at and hear from uh, you and your truth as it's been recorded. Now, Lord, I was reminded even in our Sunday school class today, just in a historical standpoint, the manuscript evidence of, a, of the New Testament. Over 24,600 manuscripts have been found. And yet the other... Second, the second place most historical document is Homer's Iliad of 643. 643 historical writings of Homer's Iliad, and yet 24,600 have been preserved of the New Testament. Copies of those original. So that when we can look at it and critique it, it's 99.5% that the variance in those texts is minute. Instead of a he, they may have put Jesus to clarify. That's a variant. What an amazing thing to know that we have your word, to know that you've preserved it. And Lord, you've preserved it so that we can read it and know the truth of who you are and what you've done. And yet, Lord, no doubt there's someone here today that does not know the Creator God. Lord, woo them. Stretch the cords of grace around their heart and pull them closer. Let them know you love them so much. Your desire for them is life, not death. You don't force yourself on anyone. Lord, if there's someone here today that's never responded to the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, I pray today would be their day of salvation. Lord, may they humble themselves in your presence. And may they call upon the only name given amongst men by which to be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. May they surrender their heart today. And truly believe that Christ is who we claim to be. Father, thank you for salvation in your Son, Jesus Christ. May we recognize our purpose and be compelled by love to go in the authority of Christ because all authority you've given to your followers in that we are to go and make disciples. May we serve you and serve others because of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for the extra six minutes this morning. So who's keeping track? I want to encourage you to come back tonight, Awana's uh, prayer meeting uh, in uh, my office. And uh, Financial Peace got another class tonight. And um, anyway, and, and listen, if you, you know, you're welcome to sit in with the teens if you want to, if you want some teaching, uh, maybe a little rowdy, but uh, you're welcome to, all right? So, um, but anyways, glad, glad you're here today. Amen? Amen. Good stuff. All right, I'm going to pick on my brother from another mother who I picked on all day. Brother Lynn, would you dismiss us in a word of prayer, please? And pray for me that I'll cut out the humor. No, just kidding. <laughs>